Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. I love you guys back 10, 10 million times. Can you guys open your Bibles to Ezekiel 37? Yes. <laughs> you guys, this, uh, this is one of my most favorite passages. And I, I fell in love with this passage when I was about 17 And I would just stare at it and have no idea what it meant. And would just read it for years. And it just really became home to me and weathered many storms in my life. And if you've never had a passage of scripture that just feels like home when you open it up and read it, I just wanna give you this one on loan tonight until you find your own, okay? You could read it every morning, just look at the words, because there's, there's just gems hidden for us to feel like home all throughout our Papa's words. Okay, so we're gonna start in verse one. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And, you know, a graveyard is a weird place to go on a walk with the Lord. to a field of wild flowers, you know? If you take the encounters elective with April this year, you're gonna gonna go find your your secret garden with the Lord, you know? Where can we go sip a cup of coffee? (laughs) But you know, that same Jesus takes us by the hand and leaves us into valleys of very dry bones. And and if we don't know his nature and his goodness, it can feel mean when he sets us down in the middle of a graveyard. Because those bones were all piled up on each other as dry as dry could be because a war was lost. They didn't just bury happy people there. They died giving their blood, sweat, and tears to a battle they didn't win. And in each of our lives, there's battles we haven't won. There are dry bones of of wars we have navigated, and they were left in the valley very dry. And if we try to study the graveyard to get our theology about God's goodness, 
we will come up deceived every time. You don't look at the whole of your story and investigate and take notes to define the nature of God. You are a believer. You are a believing believer. Your circumstance doesn't give you feedback about who your God is. Your graveyards don't give you feedback about who you, your God is. Your friends' stories don't give you feedback about the nature of your God. He is God and he decides who he is. And we live inside his goodness. Our starting place is the hand of a good God upon our life. And from there, we move towards all of our circumstance. From there, we move towards our story. And it's his goodness that defines our graveyard, not the other way around. Were you, were you guys at school the other night when Laura opened worship and she said the Lord told her about her daughter, I'm not concerned about her life being hard, I'm concerned about it being good. And you know, he, he takes us by the hand and starts to lead us in, into graveyards because he's not concerned about your life being hard, he's concerned about it being good. And it can sound cruel when God looks at you in the presence of so much defeat, piles and piles of painful defeat and says, can these bones live? Because Dan touched on this the other night. Your heart will take you places your mind can never go. Because the most obvious answer, the real answer, the authentic answer is no. <laughs> they are so dead. You, you, you can't call out a person. You can't see a face. There, it, it is an unrecognizable pile of defeat. And, and the authentic answer is no. No, everybody knows. If you ask the whole world, the whole world would say no. They cannot live. <laughs> Listen, you can't live free without authenticity. You can't live free without taking a good look at the reality of what's gone down in your life. It's impossible. But it is possible to be authentic and not be free. It is possible to sit down in the valley of dry bones and never get up. It's possible to live an authentic life and say death happened here, trauma happened here, pain happened here, defeat happened here. These bones are dry, they're so dry, they're very dry. You can't make out a person, you can't make out a story, you can't make out an identity. Death happened here and that's authentic. But if you stay in the dirt and don't get up when the Father says, can these bones live? then your authenticity has wrote your story, not the goodness of God. And you know, I see, I see a generation on the horizon that knows the point of authenticity. That it's not the end goal, it's just part of living free. But we're not, we're not gonna become famous because we're authentic. 
We're gonna become famous because we've, we have, ha, have become undone in a good God. And you know, I, I see the Lord asking Ezekiel, Zeke, <laughs> we both know these bones couldn't be more dead, right? <laughs> Zeke, we know these are like dry, dry, dead, dead bones. <laughs> Zeke, he can't go there in his mind, you know? And sometimes the best response we could ever give to the Lord with his ridiculous questions, like, you know, you know, you know, Lord, because we both know I never would have picked this place for a walk in the first place, you know? So. <laughs> We both know I put up caution tape around this valley. I boarded up walls. I used all the staples in my staple gun. I built a moat. I put alligators in it. I said, we're never going back there. That's where I would be. I never would have visited that valley again. You know? But Ezekiel was wise. And he says, oh, Lord God, you know, you know. And the Lord said to him, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will, I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, pause. <laughs> so, you know, the, the Lord could have said in an instant to that entire valley, rise up and live. And that, an entire army would have stood up on its feet in perfect, complete life. And the Lord wanted Ezekiel by his side. The Lord wanted the sound of Ezekiel's voice by his side. The Lord wanted to point out every little thing that had died. Skin, I watched you die, come to life. Dreams, I watched you die, come to life. Unfinished stories, I watched you die, come to life. And you know, the, the heart of the Lord will always be relationship. It will always be, I wanna do it with you. I wanna be a co-laborer. I wanna walk arm in arm. I want the sound of your voice by my side. I wanna walk naked and unashamed in the cool of the day. And, and when we get into a mentality that says, why doesn't he just do it for me? It's because he wants to do it with you. And you know, I, I, I'll never forget one of the most marking moments in my life when the Lord grabbed me by the hand and led me through a valley of dry, dry bones. And it was my first year in the director role here about six years ago. And Lindy Hale had come in and she was giving her father's talk. 
And my life was literally forever changed by a talk that Lindy Hale gave. <laughs> Still getting wrecked every time Lindy Hale gives a talk. And, you know, I, I was laid out on the carpet in a pile of snot. <laughs> and, like, one of those cries where you're, like, gasping for air, you know, and you've just let your mind go with what used to be on that carpet because you're just inhaling it all, you know? <laughs> this is the work of the gospel in my life. And the Lord is just walking. I'm just laying there sobbing. And the Lord is just walking me through dry, dry bones. And I was little. You could picture little Jen, cheery, awkward hair. <laughs> and I had this uncle that I loved, loved. He was this big Indian man, and he wore oxygen in his nose, and he had a ton of tattoos. And he was just my favorite place to be. I spent the night at his house most Friday nights, and we would have strawberry waffles for breakfast, and I would pretend to remove his skunk tattoo off his arm, and he kept my picture right by his chair, and I just felt safest and most seen in my little life upon his lap, and all all my happiness, you know, those places of love where you just feel like, ah, this is what it feels like to be the apple of someone's eye. And you know, one night I was sexually abused there in my uncle's house by someone else. And one of the most safest, happiest places in my world became one of the most pl deepest places of pain in the whole of my story. And I, I shut down all of the thoughts, you know, a, a traumatic response uh, to trauma in your brain is to forget the memories completely. And I forgot all the memories of the trauma until I'd become a teenager. And I unconsciously just cut my uncle completely out of my life. And you know, through the years, he would ask, where's Jen? What's going on? You know, and um, I, I, I hadn't even began to process the trauma. It wasn't even an option in my mind to have a conversation, you know. And in my adult life, I heard the news that he took his life. And, you know, the guilt and shame of never telling my story, the guilt and shame of him never knowing why I just disappeared and it, it came to steal, kill and destroy the joy of being loved, the joy of receiving love. And it took me on a journey of receiving love being one of the most painful experiences in my life. And you know, the, the years went on and I got a ton of healing for just the after effects of abuse. But what I had never considered was what was lost in my relationship with my uncle. And in my mind, when, when I heard he had passed away, the place of peace I could find was, I'll just leave it to be restored when I get to heaven, you know? It's just, this is a battle that was lost and eternity is the greatest revenge. 
And on this night, when I was laying in the carpet, Jesus was reminding me, I saw that die. I watched, I watched a little girl who felt safe to be the apple of someone's eye. I watched it die. I watched your innocent sense of safety die. I watched so many things get buried in a graveyard that day. And I want you to know it's still on my mind. And when it's gone and you've, you've put up all the caution tape and built the moat, it's still on the mind of Jesus. And you know, he tells me often, I've memorized your pain. Will you memorize mine? And sometimes I love to just go to that place in the garden. You know, theologians say the body of Jesus was crucified on the cross, but the soul of Jesus was crucified in the garden. And he knelt down in so much agony because he was carrying the pain of the whole wide world. And it wasn't a broad experience. Isaiah says he became intimately acquainted with your sorrow. He actually put your grief on his back and felt the weight, the one human being in all of history that will ever know what your loss felt like, that will ever know what your trauma felt like. He's the only high priest who can sympathize because he felt it, he carried it. And sometimes I just, I love to lay down in that garden and I, I love to look up as he's just kneeling down, dropping sweats of real blood, the blood that would save all of mankind. How much healing is in one drop of the blood of Jesus? And I memorize the agony on his face. And I put my head under his head and I, I just wait for one drop to come and give me my shape. And, and I say, Jesus, don't let my pain define me. Let your pain define me. And you know, the Bible says he inscribed you on the palm of his hand. And we know because Thomas asked, he said, let me see your hand. And he said, look at these holes that he unashamedly is carrying in the palm of his hand your redemption. He is unashamedly inscribed the price that he paid to rewrite your story. And for all of eternity, Jesus didn't say, oh, cover up your scars, cover up your wounds, hide it, put it away. For all of eternity, it's inscribed in the palm of his hand. You know, Hebrews said, this is why he did it. Because of his great love for you. Because he knew that you would be his own. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation. There was zero humiliation that, that conquered humiliation means that he didn't even think a shameful thought. He spread wide his arms in the most shameful moment of all of humanity and said, you are worth it. 
you are worth it. And so when I, I am laying there in that garden, memorizing his pain, I can see joy in the agony because it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. There was joy in his heart in the most excruciating moment of his human experience because he was motivated by love for you. He memorized the price he would have to pay to convince you you're not your trauma. You're not your pain. You're not the lowest places in your soul. And I visit, I visit regularly. Because if we're not more overwhelmed by what Jesus endured, we'll be easily overwhelmed by what we've endured. And your story is not about the depths of your abuse. Your story is not what the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. Your story is about a king who chased you down, who climbed up a mountain with a cross on his back and memorized every beat of your heart, memorized every way that you think. He studied all of your pain and took it as his own. And you know, Ezekiel's here in the graveyard and he's prophesying with the Lord. He's, he's speaking to everything that died and is saying, come back to life. Come back to life. And he hears the bones start to shake. He hears a rattling <laughs> in the, you know, It says there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And you know, if you are not standing on your feet in a victory, the story of Jesus isn't over. And if it's taking way longer than you thought it should take, you gotta hear the invitation. Can these bones live? Can we talk about it together? Can we take our time going for a walk? Can we remember together? Can we look at what has died? Can we talk about it? And you know, he loves you too much to make it happen in one moment. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He's writing a story that's beyond your sweetest imagination. And when we take a posture of yieldedness that says, God, you know, 
you know. And we refuse to sacrifice, like Blake talked about, our belief in his nature on the altar of understanding. We're living the gospel. And you know, a, a few weeks after I had that encounter on the carpet, you know, I remember laying there thinking for a second. I didn't know what else was happening in the room. I was just drowning in snot. And I had this thought, I'm trying to figure out this role for the first time. I'm like, is this all right? Just like in the corner, you know? And before I could finish the thought, I just knew, ah, I will never lead from any place but this place. And you know, the mark of true leadership and every single person in this room is a leader, is following Jesus. <laughs> if you're not following Jesus, you have nowhere to lead people. <laughs> True leadership is I have unreservedly given my life to be a follower of Jesus. You know, a few weeks later, I, I was at the zoo with my family and it was so hot. I thought the Lord literally took us from foggy California and brought us to the center of hell. Like this, this truly has to be what hell feels like. You know? We come, we, Dan and I, we come from the land of redwood trees. So there's just like always a nice little bit of fog and sweatshirt weather, you know. And so I had a baby, a tiny nursing infant. So I was just sitting on the bench, sweating, and my, my family were out playing at the park, and I look up, and there's a man walking towards me, and he's a big Indian man, and he's carrying oxygen behind him, and he's got tattoos all over his body, and he's got a super familiar kindness in his eyes. And my heart starts racing. It's pounding out of my chest as he's moving towards me. I can feel the nearness of heaven. And he sits down awkwardly close to me while I'm nursing my baby. <laughs> I'm like, in any other scenario, I would have felt super uncomfortable. I'm like, so private. I'm like, you know, and... He's like, hello. I'm like, hi. You know, <laughs> I could barely talk. My, my voice was wavering. My hands were shaking. I was already sweating. That had nothing to do with that. But. And, and he just starts asking me questions like he had known me my whole life. And, you know, we talked about a, a cross-country transition. And he just said, this is going to be so good for your family. This is gonna be so good for your life. And even though it gets hard, it's gonna be worth it. And it's so amazing that you would take time to nurse your baby. What? Who, who, does, who says that? You know, and I'm like, oh my God, you know? And, and you know, he was affirming the invisible parts of my life. You know, I get a standing ovation when I come up here. 
but this is like 2% of my life, you know? The other 98%, I walk downstairs in the morning and no one's cheering me on, you know? They want food, they want snacks, they, got, they want the TV on, they just, they have a list of needs. There's like, you're doing great, mom! You're our hero! You make us feel so loved! Nobody says that. Nobody. <laughs> My baby never once looked up from nursing. It was like, wow, I see the price you're paying. Like, whoa. This is a big deal. You are literally keeping me alive with your boob. Like, no. I nursed, I nursed four babies four years out of my life. They had plenty of opportunity. Nobody jumped on that opportunity. You know, he, he was affirming me, what makes me, me. Not my gifts, not my talents, not, not the assignments on my life. He was affirming the little girl who felt shame and guilt surrounding my memory of one of my most treasured earthly relationships. And my, my family came out and I introduced him to each of my girls. I introduced him to my husband. And he just, he looked like I was the prize of his life. And we're getting ready to walk away and he looks me straight in the eyes. And he says, I'm so proud of you. And years of guilt instantly fell off my life. Years of shame instantly fell off my life. And I, I heard a rattle. I heard a noise in the graveyard. And I could see bones coming back together with bones. And I, I could start to make out a person under that pile of defeat. And I could hear a sound of, of pride coming from my uncle in heaven where I, I couldn't even imagine him looking at my life, where suddenly I was connecting to a cloud of witnesses that's happier than I thought. And you know, the enemy wants us to believe, you're just, you're just not getting it. You know, you're so far behind. You're so far behind. Look at this race you're running. I mean, you might as well just step to the side. You're never gonna make it. Look at all those people that are so far ahead of you. You've been running for years. Look at how exhausted you look. You look so tired. Just tap out. Nobody will notice if you step to the side. Nobody will notice if you give up this fight. You're just invisible. You're, you don't matter. Your story doesn't matter. Your life doesn't matter. Are, are you really gonna think about that trauma again? You really wanna bring that up one more time? Really? You're not over that yet? It's the voice of the accuser 
trying to get you bow out of the race that only you can run. The race that you are destined to run because you are a restorer of the breach. That every injustice in your family line, every place of trauma and defeat, the cloud of witnesses is surrounding your life and cheering you on and saying, we believe in you. You're doing better than you think. You're running a good race. Victory is right around the corner. Don't give up. Don't give up. We're on your side. We're on your team. You matter. Your story matters. Your redeemer lives. And you know, heaven is entirely convinced of the significance of the race that you're winning. You are winning. And all of hell wants you to believe you're losing. But you are winning. No matter where you're at, in your race, in the graveyard, in your story, you are winning. And you know, the... The Lord says to, to Ezekiel, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. And this whole passage the Lord is whispering in Ezekiel's ear about what's to come. There's coming a champion. There's coming a hero. And he's going to call his people up out of their graves. And they will live as an army of hope. They will live in resurrected life. And Jesus steps onto the scene. And he calls dead things back to life around every corner. And, you know, we see him in John 11. His friend had died. You remember Lazarus? And his sister says to him, you know, Jesus is saying he will live again. And, and she says, I know he'll live again in, in the next life. You know, I know on resurrection day he will rise from the dead. And Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection and the life. He will live now. <laughs> and you know, one of the greatest traps of the enemy is to get you to put off your inheritance until you get to heaven. But the very thing Jesus came to do was to say, I am your inheritance. I am heaven. Look, heaven's at hand. I am heaven. Heaven is as, as close as your hand because I am here. The King is here. I am resurrection and I am life. 
And the only reason he walks us through graveyards is because he's the person of resurrection. He's the person of life. He's the one that came to put breath back inside of you. The promise was my spirit will live within you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The, the, the one that caused life to come into his being in the darkest night of human history. Jesus was dead, dead. Like graveyard dead. <laughs> he wasn't kind of dead. All hope was lost. All hope was lost. And the greatest thing that can happen in your life is for you to get to the point where you realize, I'm dead, dead. All hope is lost. Because it was in the darkest night of human history that Jesus had his finest hour. And in the darkest night of your soul, in the darkest night of your story, in the places in your story where it is just piles of defeat, where all hope is lost, you have your finest hour. Because we realize I needed a savior. I needed a God of the impossible. And you know, Wendy Backlund says, the nature of hope depends on the God of, of the impossible. Hope doesn't make sense unless there's a God of the impossible. And if your hope doesn't require impossibility bowing before the person of Jesus, you're not living off of his hope, you're living off of your own. And until all your own hope is lost, you can't start living inside of his. The wrestle is not for you to go on a hope hunt. <laughs> I went on a hope hunt for years of my life. Hope is not a personality type. Oh, some people are just born with happy demeanors. That's not hope. Hope, like Vanessa saying yesterday, is the person of Jesus. I haven't lived off my own hope in a really long time. I lost it all. I was in hopeless, dark despair. I had no hope of my own. And in my darkest hour, the person of hope called into the tomb like, Lazarus, rise up. He, he still had you know, burial clothes. He was still wrapped in linens and started walking around like a dead man. <laughs> Whoa, is this walking dead? What's happening? And Jesus said, unbind him. <laughs> you might be feeling like you're out of the tomb, but I still, I feel like a, a dead person walking around. And this week, and Jesus has been saying, unbind her. 
unbind him. Today is your day for resurrection and life. Your redeemer lives. Your God is the one writing your story. The goodness of God is writing your story. The love of God is writing your story. The God of all hope is writing your story. And until you can run into your own graveyards, you'll never be able to run into the graveyard of this world. And you know, Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. There's gonna be wars and rumors of wars. There's gonna be so much scary stuff, it's hard to look at those passages. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I love what Bill Johnson says. When Jesus is outlining what is to come, that I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. This is the call of a revivalist, that you are going into the darkest places on the planet, that deep darkness is covering the earth today. And the call of the gospel isn't that that's your destiny. Your destiny is to sit in a graveyard and look around with a smile on your face. No, your destiny is to carry the assignment of Jesus, to walk the earth with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead with the same resurrected hope that called dead people out of graves and said, I have hope for that. I have hope for that. This is not the end of the story. And darkness isn't your destiny. Darkness is your assignment. And as soon as we can run into our own graveyards, we can run into the darkness of the world and watch bones start to shake. We can start seeing flesh come back on to a hurting generation. We can live with a hope that the world says you're unreasonable. You're inauthentic. You've lost your senses. And we know we've become Christ-like when the world says you've lost your senses. Because that's what they've said about the person of Jesus. And you know, Laura's been stirring us up to live an undignified life. And a life of radical hope is an undignified life because the world looks at you and shakes its head and says, wait, you're ridiculous. You, you, think, you think anything good could come out of Nazareth? You think anything good could come out of the worst trauma of your life? And in the earth, we are the sound of the dinner bell we're the sound of hope that says, I will become even more undignified than this. I'm just getting started with my hope. I'm just getting started inside of graveyards. And you know your mind is renewed when you see a graveyard and you start bolting towards it. <laughs> you know, even in my own life, you know, I'm still getting invited into graveyards. I don't know if you ever finish, you know. <laughs> But the difference now is I know who's leading me there. And I know his intention is always resurrection and life. And that you, you know, you have permission in your story to take off the pressure that says I need to be further along. 
I can't believe how, how far behind I am. Oh, because that's not the sound of heaven over your life. The sound of heaven over your life are bones rattling. You know, even still, I've been on this journey of learning to receive love for years of my life. And, you know, Lindy keeps inviting us in to more and more of this journey. And when you allow the grief you feel inside the graveyards of your own story to whittle all the way down to the bottom crevice of your soul, when you allow grief and sorrow to do its job, it's actually hewing out a crevice in your soul that will be filled up with a joy and a hope that you never knew was possible. And if you only let the grief get to a surface level before you put up the caution tape and you build the moat and you put the alligator in it, then you will have a surface level hope. You will have a surface level joy. But when you can step into the process and say, I know he wants my voice by his side. I know he wants me to see every little thing that died because he wants me to echo what he's saying over my life. You will live again. You will feel love again. You will feel safe again. You will feel resurrection and life pumping through every cell, every fiber of your body. And you know, even recently, I, I felt another level of, of learning to receive love just welling up in my heart. And there's no shame in being in the middle of a story because your story will never end. So there, there is no race in the story that Jesus is writing over your life. You are eternal. So we're gonna have the worship team come up and I just want everybody to stand up. And you know, I loved what the worship team was singing earlier. Jesus is still enough. He's still enough. He's still enough. And you know, just even recently, I, I felt my heart getting stretched to a deeper place in receiving love that I just hadn't been yet. And you know, pain, pain is your invitation into the graveyard. Pain is your invitation in to see the piles of defeat that the Lord is trying to invite you into. And it's a good day when you take him by the hand and you say, lead me there. You know, I've been gathering endorsements for my book over the last couple months and you know, heroes in my life have just sent, sent, sending in like the nicest things. And the normal response would feel like, I would think, like happiness. And as I read their words, I, I felt pain in my heart. I felt, ah, oh, man, I, I feel afraid to receive love at this level. 
And it was another level of Jesus whispering in my ear, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Am I still good enough? Am I still good enough? He said, I want you to go sit in the middle of all those nice words. (laughs) I want you to go sit there and I just want you to look around and feel super uncomfortable and full of pain. It's always been easy for me to feel rejected for the sake of the gospel. You know, when people are offended by my hope, I feel feel joy because I know what's coming for them. Because the hope on my life is not for me. The hope on my life is for you. The favor on my life is for you. And I always feel like, I, I think more people need to not like me for me to really be living the gospel. You know, like all these things Jesus talks about. So whenever I feel that sense of rejection or abandonment or or whatever, I just always feel this honor of I'm alive for this one thing. People are not my rudder. People are not my compass. You are my rudder. You are my compass. But when it comes to receiving love, I get out caution tape real quick. I'm getting slower and slower as the years go on. But it's been a journey for me, learning to receive love. And where you cap out on your ability to receive love is where you cap out on having enough for nations. And all the trauma, all the pain, all the abuse, all the lies in your life, they all came on an attack of your love. It was violation after violation of perfect love to push you away from your home. You were destined to live inside of perfect love, of perfect hope. That when you think about your life without one day of trauma, When you think about your life, if you grew up in the Father's house without ever knowing rejection, how would you think? What would you feel? What would you see? What would you sense? And what if a Redeemer came? What if a great restorer of the breach came and made a way for you to be born again? What if He made a way to wash away every violation of love? What if he memorized your pain and said, I'll take it as my own so that you could be one inside of my unity with the Father, so that you could be one with perfect love and perfect hope. And every graveyard is an invitation into his love. Every graveyard is an invitation into the fullness of what Jesus purchased in your new identity inside of Christ. And you are the sound of hope moving in and out of your place in human history. You are a revivalist who's calling dead things back to life because your Redeemer lives. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.